The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Schmozone Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Fusion CBD Products. They got some of the best CBD products on the market. Fusion CBD Sports Water. I take this after the workouts. Love this stuff. It's refreshing. They have the energy and focus, the sleep and recovery capsules. They have the CBD instant freeze. Man, I just used that recently working with the new Bantamweight champion of Bellator, Juan Archuleta. They have their Hydro Drops. I love this stuff. Go check it out. Get 20% off by using the promo code SHMO, FusionCBDProducts.com. You will not be disappointed. And the next sponsor of today's podcast is Bloomon. Bloomon is the best hair product I've ever used in my entire life. You know, most hair products, they got that smell and that, you know, after feel to it that you just cannot wait to take a shower. Well, this stuff does not have it. I love their Ascend Volume Cream. I always put this on. And then I love their Fist Sample Pomade. Check it out. They have a whole styling kit that you just saw on screen. You can get your sample. You can try all the different five kinds that you like. I love the Fist Sample. You should check it out. Use the promo code SchmoBlumon.com. 10% off. You will not be disappointed. And let's start the show. Get connected. Oh, we're on. Oh, we're on. (laughs) What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 33 of the Schmo Zone podcast. I'm Dave Schmolenson, a.k.a. the Schmo. I'm his co-host, Helen E. Sports. Gotcha. Yeah, I left that open for you. <laughs> I'm wearing a great t-shirt today because we have a great special guest, the one and only Triple C, the Olympic gold medal champion, the Bantamweight and Flyweight King Henry Cejudo in the flesh. What's up, my man? Uh, thank you, Shimon. Thank you for having me, man. It's, uh, it's an honor. I'm super proud of you, man. This studio looks amazing. You guys, congratulations. You guys have been, uh, you know, making headlines. And uh, you guys have been getting a lot of good people out here to do the, the podcast. I'm excited for what the future holds for you guys, to say the least. We really appreciate that, my brother. And I figure we can uh, show the man behind the cringe. We could do this. <laughs> For uh, one of the rare occasions that we have here where we don't have to... uh, No pillows. Yeah, no pillows, no uh, WWE promos, no yellow glasses. Let me tell you something. (laughs) My man, so uh, you're in Vegas. You had a pretty special night last night. You uh, were in front of the President of the United States. They were in that extreme warehouse space. Mm -hmm. I know it violated the Governor Sislas order of having 50 people in a space. There's probably more than that, but... uh, Anytime you get the opportunity, doesn't matter who it is, to speak to the pres- with the President of the United States and be in front of him. You're with Dana White. You're with Ali. You are with Colby Covington. Uh, special crowd. That's got to be a huge moment. Yeah, no, first of all, it was, uh, it was amazing because I was actually, I was the White House or President Tr- Trump and his, uh, you know, and all his officials, they actually asked to meet me. 
So they, you know, obviously they know that I'm uh, I'm probably more on the, you know, I, I respect my president more than anything. So I was part of the panel with uh, with uh, speaking with uh, Dana White. It was Kobe Covington, Ali Abdelaziz, uh, Justin Gaethje and myself. So we had a chance to kind of share why we, you know, why we support our president. So had a chance to see him backstage right before he went up to speak and actually talk to him. Like he knew he's, he's a big MMA fan. Like he knew exactly who I was. Like it was, uh, it was a trip. Like he knew the Demetrius Johnson fight. He knew that I had two belts. It was always like he even gave me a shout out. I don't know if you guys didn't see it. Oh, we saw it. that. Yeah, yeah, it's on Twitter. He gave, a, he gave a shout out to me and to my older brother. He's because my older brother was, you know, my older brother. He loves Trump. He calls him Daddy Trump. But anyhow, he, uh, you know, he, he's. I told President Trump, I'm like, President, this is my older brother. And right when we're getting ready to leave, he's like, Yeah, what's his name? He's like, Write it down. And then next thing you know it, he's. Uh, you know, he mentioned my brother's name too. So to us, it's surreal. You know what I mean? Like two two immigrant sons. You know, our parents came to this country to live the American dream, and now we have the we have the the opportunity to to shake hands with the president, actually get to get to know him and see him. And you know what I mean? It's it, it's it's surreal to me. You know what I mean? Like it's super cool. It was, it was such a great experience yesterday. I know you've been retired for a short amount of time, but I can only imagine that's got to be the highlight of post retirement life so far. Uh, second next to my goal, next to getting my, <laughs> no, it is, it is. I think every time you do meet a president or so, especially a president, I've, I've been around celebrities pretty much now I can honestly say like my entire career, but the president brings a certain aura. He brings a certain prestige that, that Dana White doesn't bring or that, that a lot of these guys, it, 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 he's the most powerful man in the world. So super cool. But I have to ask you, I know Helen's dying to ask you this too. Ali was next to Colby Covington. <laughs> There's bad blood there. How the hell did those two stand being in each other's presence? What was that dynamic like? Yeah, it was it was a little weird. It's almost like my brother, my, my older brother, he almost had to kind of mention it to to Kobe. He's like, hey man, everything's cool. We didn't mention anything to Ali because we know uh Ali's uh you know, obviously Ali's Ali. But he was uh, extremely, re he, they were both extremely respectful to each other. They, they may have not like shaken hands or even looked at each other. But, you know, that's that's what the president did, man. The president, that's what the president does. I'm sorry. You know, they were both able to, you know, stay in the same room and, <laughs> and not go after each other. So, you know, it's, it was, it was, it was, I was actually impressed. I was like, man, wait, because, because I, I think they knew that it wasn't about them. You know what I'm saying? Like this was about something bigger, and uh, Ali Ali loves the president. The president had a chance to to meet Ali in the back too, and uh, anybody that's Dana White's friends is pretty much the president's friend. And uh, I saw it backstage when uh, uh, Dana White introduced Ali in the back. He says, "Hey, you know, he talked he talked highly about Ali." And he, you know, Dana White introduced all of us to to uh, to uh, to uh, to president to President Donald Trump. You know, it was special, man, because the president respects Dana White like you wouldn't believe, like you wouldn't believe, like they they are, they are like boys. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's mutual, yeah. Cool. Well, what did President Trump tell you behind the scenes? He said, "Man, I love all the flashy goals you got. <laughs> Keep up the cringe." <laughs> oh, he <laughs> encouraged it. He well, encouraged it. Does he, he want to see you back in there? No, President Donald Trump said, "You guys make sure to tune in." <laughs> To the schmo zone, and uh, <laughs> <he's>, <laughs> no, no, we just talked about it. I just, you know, I, I 
I introduced myself to him. I said, hey, I'm, I'm an immigrant. So I kind of shared a little bit of my story. And uh, he knew who I was, which was pretty, which is pretty cool. And then he gave me, he, then he gave us an extra shout out. But the president's so busy. It's almost like the five minutes that we did have with them felt like almost like an hour. You know what I'm saying? Because the attention that he gives you, I mean, the dude's, uh, the dude's amazing. And uh, obviously my, my brother had a chance to chat with them too. So, which was pretty cool. That's you know? gotta be special. Yeah. Very he, special. Maybe uh, he'll want to see you become C4. I hope so. I hope so. Well, I think now, especially the fact that uh, I, I've been able to, you know, do this event with uh, with Dana, I think I think I might have maybe uh, gone up with some brownie points. I think Dana White would be willing to. Uh, I, I think I think if I was to ask Dana White now to give me Volkanovski, I think he'd give me Volkanovski on a plate. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. I'm sure you had to butter him up somehow, some way, and maybe Ali too. Dana White, if you're watching this. Give me the world's tallest midget. I want Alexander Volkanovsky. Let's make the UFC great again. Let's make the featherweight division great again. Give me that overgrown midget. I'm going to make him bend the knee. Make him bend the knee just like that. Just like that. Well, speaking of the featherweight division, what do you think of kind of that log jam at the top? Oh, I think it's, uh, whew, there's, there's a lot of guys up there. But this is the reason, probably the reason why is because it's kind of a, a shutdown. So, or it's like you said, it's kind of somewhat of a lockdown. And I think I would be the perfect candidate to fight Alexander Volkanovsky because there's not a clear number one contender. You don't want to see it. I don't want to see a Holloway Volkanovsky three. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you guys? Well, we've asked a lot of the top guys. Even the Calvin contenders. Cater. Calvin Cater was on this podcast. Dan Ige's been on yeah. this podcast. None of them would mind if, because there is no clear-cut number one guy in there, it's been so inactive at the top, and I'm gonna if tell you, you stepped so. in and uh, you fought for it. And I'm going to tell you something. That's the problem. Is none, of, none of these guys are building a storyline. None of these guys are selling to get the fight. Oh, I'm okay. Yeah, they could fight. No, give me the fight. If I was a featherweight and if I was in the top five like they are, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be pushing buttons. Because that's what you have to do. At the end of the day, it's all about the go, Schmo. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's all about you accomplishing out there, getting what you want. It's, all, it's out there, you being loyal to to the dream, to the goal. So I've been able to be successful in in fighting for that reason. As soon as I beat Demetrius Johnson, you know what my, my first call out was? I want TJ Dillashaw. I was already talking about a second bout. I wasn't saying, all right, give me... No, no even though I had a, a loss against Benavides, I never called Benavides out because... Dude, there's bigger fish to fry. And eventually, if I did come back to him, it'd be a little different. There'd be a, there'd be a better storyline. But And what happened? I talked over the mic. Next you know, my next fight was TJ Dillashaw. And there's so many guys, though, that they get their fights. They they take the humble approach. Not saying you don't have a humble approach. You, you, you oh, approach I'm the, it. I'm the most humble man I've ever met, dude. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, but the, they don't call their shots. They don't call it out. They're like, I'll just take whatever fight they give me, they offer me. And they're not kind of making their destiny known to the to the public, to the world. They're not kind of portraying what they want to do and how they want to accomplish it. And sometimes if you're not vocal about vocal about that, you're not going to get exactly what you want. Were you about to say Volkanovsky about it? I mean, he's got, <laughs> I'm thinking about that too. It's going through my mind. Yeah, you have to be. You have to be. And I'll be quite honest with you, even like the, the fact that the how the cringe started or whatnot, because it is me. Part of my gimmick, it is who I am. I just, you know, it's like Uncle Chow said, you just amplified a little bit. Actually, I amplified quite a bit. But at the same time, I am a bit corny. I am a bit just, I've always been just different. You know, you know what I'm, so the way it started too, Schmo, it started actually with Demetrius Johnson. And uh, I remember after I beat him, 
it was here. We, I came back to Las Vegas to meet with Dana White because Dana White actually wanted to meet with me too. And uh, I believe it was a contender. It was an event, the ultimate fighter, I'm sorry. And he says, you know, Henry, let's, uh, you know, you mind, you know, I want to meet with you. So we I, were at the event. It, were, it, it wasn't even, uh, it wasn't even kind of like a scheduled meeting. But he says, you know, jump in my Ferrari. I jumped in his Ferrari and he told me in the car, he's like, hey, you know, I just want to let you know that I'm, that I'm going to get rid of the 125 pound weight division. And he told me this during the car, like a, we're, we're literally driving. He was like, but this is the cool thing, champ, is you can, you'll have your shot at 135 pounds and you'll be the last flyweight champion. But that always kind of sat wrong with me a little bit. So I had talked to Ali. He's like, well, they said, by law, they can't do that. By law, they cannot, you know, strip you of your belt. So what happened was, and then there was a negotiation uh, uh, thing too. I mean, I was like, because I, I was thinking about going up, but in reality, if I was to go up, the whole flyweight division was going to be gone. So what I say is, why don't you bring down TJ Dillashaw? He wants to come down then. I says, bring him out. I'm going to fry this dude. And uh, and that's kind of what happened. But I also knew that I took it upon myself to promote the flyweight division. So a lot of people here are probably sick of me. <laughs> a lot of you know, a lot of people don't like me. But if they see the big picture and the and the and the purpose that I because I've always been and I, even till today, I'm, I'm still the messenger. You know what I'm saying? So I ended up fighting TJ, knocked him out in 32 seconds. Uh, and, you know, I came out with the snake prior to the fight. And that, that's kind of where it all started. The gold medal, the belts. And uh, six months later, I ended, up I ended up fighting Marlon Marias, beat him, knocked him out. And I convinced Dana White to keep the flyweight division. And tell me that ain't a great story. That's a fantastic story. And, uh, you know, a little side note to that is it was actually that fight in Los Angeles when you fought Demetrius Johnson the second time and you beat him. That was the first fight the Schmo actually covered live for the UFC. That was the first one. I remember when Eric about a scene captain came back there with his big white glasses and he was elated. He was that character. And I thought to myself, man, the Schmo fits right in here, too, because there's other people just like that. <laughs> And something you said, too, man, about the cringe being an extension of who you are, that uh -huh. obviously resonates with me, too, because obviously the schmo is in an yeah. eccentric version, an arm extension of kind of my goofy, weird personality as right. well. So we share that in common, too. Yes. Goofy people roll. Well, does it ever get exhausting, though, always having to amplify everything to uh, be cringe? No, not really. Actually, I started enjoying it. <laughs> like even now, even now that I'm retired, I really am retired, man. Like if I decide to come back, it's gonna be for the Volkanovski fight. So don't even give me. I'm trolling, man. Like I'm, I'm having fun. I'm promoting the sport. I continue to stay relevant in the media. I mean, there's now, there's now. I see there's a business side to it. Like the triple C. Look at the shirt, man. Like that's. It looks great. Like I'm gonna, like you know what I'm saying. A bunch of, like with then when I once I start like my. Uh, you know, my whole merchandise store or whatnot, like these things are going to be going off. Like, you know what I mean? It's like I, a lot of my inspiration actually came from like the WWE, you know, when I was a kid. I remember Macho Man, Hulk Hogan, you know, Bret the Hitman Hart, like a lot of these Who's guys. your favorite? Oh, my God. Uh, that's a good question. I like the Ultimate War quite a bit. Man. Oh, he was great. He was, <laughs> so Randy Savage grew up about 15, 20 minutes from where I grew up. 
obviously so was a lot older than me uh, in Illinois, suburb of Chicago. I was going to ask you if you guys went to the same school, but I guess... Uh, no, but I grew up watching that stuff. I mean, me and my friends, I mean, that's that's what we used to beat the crap. We used to take steel chairs in the basements and, and, five and hit each other. Five-star frog splash. I'm supposed to get that from... our Rob Van Dam was our second uh, guest on the Schmozone podcast. We're, and she's a huge wrestling fan, but I liked uh, WCW too. I like Sting. Yeah, WCW. Oh, Sting was great. The greatest to never in the wwe for yeah, that whole period yeah yeah I, I, I remember that whole era back in 97 98 when they started taking over the ww wwf at that time um so i do man i remember that stuff vividly so even part of the character that i am it's almost like i enjoy it because it's there's acting involved you're next but it is different too because as a fighter we're not actors i gotta perform if somebody beats me i'm gonna, I'm gonna look like an idiot yeah. If somebody beats me, guess what? I'm going to be the next ice cream dude with all due respect to him. Like, I'm going to be the laughing stock as high of a quality of a fighter that I am, dude. Like, if you lose, you're going to get it from the rest of the world. So even even me as a character, someone that's been in the doing the cringe, the triple C, the go, the mat, like all <laughs> that. Like, if I lose, I'm I'm going to get ridiculed, man. So I got to step it up. That's part of, part, part of what pushes me to Schmo is the fact that I, I love putting that pressure on me because it's a challenge that I feel like I challenge not just my the fighter that I'm fighting against, but my soul, like my spirit. Well, let's go back to one fighter that I know you respect, and he also plays a character. You were just with him last night, Colby Covington. Maybe it's not necessarily a character, uh, but you know he's been kind of quiet for this fight leading up to uh, Tyron Woodley, and this is a huge fight. This might be the biggest non-pay-per-view card that we have all year, and this is a huge fight. We haven't seen him do too much crazy media in the past couple of weeks, like, and obviously puts himself out there. What's his mindset at? You were just with him, and like, if he loses... What what's that mean for the character? I mean, everything's on the line here. Yeah, but personally, I don't think he'll lose. Personally, I think for that reason, mm. he's got the election coming up. He wants to be he, you know, he's President Donald Trump respects him. Like uh, from what I saw uh, yesterday and the way he, the way he talked about Kobe is backstage and and on stage. I was like, man, Kobe. There's a there's a there's a huge motivator for Kobe too, and uh, you know. Part of the reason why the gimmick would work or the character, whatever you want to call it, is you have to win. You know what I'm saying? Like I, like I, I love Ashker and I. We grew up wrestling, but like to me, as 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 a fighter, and I was like, man, Ashker, you can't. <laughs> I guess you can, but it's almost like your words kind of just go up in the air. Man. Like it, you know what I'm saying? Like he's over here picking a fight with uh, who was it? Uh, Logan Paul, and then Logan Paul just respond. How fast did that screen get knocked out? Things like that, and people are harsh, man. So I think part of what's going to pull Kobe is the character, and it is going to be President Donald Trump. Well, how do you see his fight playing out with Woodley, where I think, and I don't know if you think as well, but for Woodley, there is a lot of pressure on him to perform well as too. Yeah, I think Woodley was, uh, he's on a two-fight losing streak. I don't think he's ever lost three in a row. Yeah. And this would be three in a row if he lost. And it happens, man. This is this is why the sport of mixed martial arts is so amazing and so great. Is because, is because the best fight the best, man. If you see boxing, like Terrence Crawford and the other dude. Errol uh, Spence. Errol Spence, they're yeah. going to fight in the next five years. It's going to be like Pacquiao Mayweather. It's just, it makes me sick. Still waiting for you and Ryan Garcia. <laughs> And we can do that. We can do that. There, there's a there's a lot. But to get back to the to the to the Woodley is man, he's gonna have to get his mind right. 
I just I don't he can talk all he wants, but he's gonna have to get his mind right and he's gonna have to get that same attitude that he used to have on this fight. Cause if not, what happens when fighters lose, it becomes a domino effect. And you have to make sure that you're actually, you know, going it's almost like when you hurt your wrist or your shoulder, or whatnot. You gotta go through therapy. You gotta go through therapy when you lose. Like there, there there's a mental block in there. You gotta get rid of that. If not, that's the worst injury you could have. Either that or a broken heart. <laughs> Which I do want to get to the broken heart. He set himself up for that. Yeah, well, it's the cringe. Well, you mentioned. Well, I'm like, I want to ask something to follow up on the Woodley before you mm. know I get to your broken heart, but uh, <laughs> which I hope it's fixed now. Um, but do you think because some people were saying, is he dabbling into too many things like his rapping and maybe his, you know, he's not as focused into MMA anymore? Like, do you think that could be it? Yeah, but you can't be that good a rapper. You, people talk about Hollywood stuff like, dude, I've done all that stuff. It's like 30 minutes. You'll probably get maybe a script for maybe about two minutes if you're lucky or an appearance. I don't think it's that. I just think he just has to get his priorities straight. What are the things that really matter in his life? What is it, what is it that he's trying to accomplish? So it's like the overall goal. For DC, for Daniel Cormier, I will say it was the fact that he was just doing too much. He was starting a podcast. He was traveling all across the world. I'm like, Daniel, you could beat Stipe. And I don't think it's the age. And I'll tell this to Daniel. It's you're doing too much, you're traveling too much, and you, you're luring away from the goal, from the stuff that really matters. Bisping was literally on set in Toronto filming a movie for nine weeks. He got the call for the title fight against Luke Rockhold on 18 days notice. Came back, I think he was plus 600, shocked the world, became the middleweight champion of the world. Yeah. And, With and, one good eye. <laughs> and part of that, you'd want to even, dis uh, even discredit... Uh, uh, Luke, Luke did not take him serious, man. He he was he was cocky in that fight with. Uh, I think if they were to fight again, I don't think Bisbee would uh, would beat him. But maybe now, but during that time when he was in his prime. But a lot of it just has to do with attitude, and his attitude wasn't good for that fight. Mm. All right, go now, go go to yeah, it. Helen. Back to your broken heart. Go back to the broken heart. <laughs> so after your last fight and your win over Dominic Cruz. You mentioned that you wanted to retire, start a family and everything. So now the big question everyone wants to know, <laughs> like what, what happened? No. I know you're single now, the most eligible bachelor. The most eligible bachelor's back, baby. No, you know what? Uh, God, it's, it's, uh, that's life though. You know what I'm saying? Like even sometimes when we picture things in our head, sometimes that's just life. So what happened was... Uh, it was just too much for me. Like I'm, I think I probably enjoyed my freedom more than anything. I got to the point where it's just like every bad relationship. Things, things happen. People start, you know, you know, <laughs> start talking bad about each other, disrespecting each other. It just wasn't cool. I'm a guy that ha I, I'm a very peaceful guy. I'm a, I'm, I'm a very happy person for those who don't know me. Those who do know me, they'll, they'll tell you. And I just felt like I was losing a little bit part of me. And I just, and I just didn't like the way I was feeling, so I had to had to exit out, man. And uh, little things that turn into big things, and then once you lose respect, man, it's like you just uh, everything just goes out the window. So it was one of that, to say the least. The rest, you know what I'm saying? Like I don't want to. I mean, the okay. world already knows. Is that okay? Is that okay for you guys? Can I? No, give you I that? mean, we That's already good. just so the audience knows too. We already talked about it at your house last yeah. week, but but 
after our interview, so we know the whole story, but it totally makes sense, and you and I are in complete agreement. Once you lose respect for somebody, like, you can't get that back. You could, and I think that would be with time, but that... Yeah, pretty much. On, I mean, that, I just, on I just, that intimate I just, level, yeah, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, maybe I don't have that experience to be able to do that. But I'm, I know a lot of people that have worked through their marriages, and yeah. uh, I just didn't want to be in a relationship that was gonna, I was gonna eventually like not make it. You know what mm. I'm saying? Like if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna have you be my girlfriend, because I probably see a bigger picture than than just a girlfriend. You know what I'm saying? I saw that, but then once we started living together with each other for a minute. And I think once you live with, which was good, even though my, even though my, my brothers and my family's a little, they're a little upset with me. I'm just like, live at the bright side. I says, I had a chance to, you know, live with her and yeah. see exactly how it's like. It's like, even if I bring another one, like, it's going to be the same thing. Like I'm out here. If, if I, you know what I'm saying? Like if I like a girl, like I would eventually like to marry them. So if you ever, if you guys ever see me with a girlfriend, like, cause obviously I'm single and you guys see me with a lot of <laughs> You guys have seen me in days with a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> but when I make somebody my girlfriend, that's because I'm serious about it. Then I'm just like, all right, man, the world's eligible bachelor. He's, he's, he's tucked away. You don't really know someone until you live with them, right? <laughs> Would you ever be on the Bachelor? The Bachelorette, Why not, man? I guess. Let's uh, bring it, Bachelor. What's up? We can do it. In, we can do it in th three different languages too. I think it would be super cool. Actually, the more I think about it, we can do, we can bring in like girls from like Mexico, Brazil, like America, and they can all you know what I'm saying. Just a variety. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> what, what do you look for in a girlfriend? This is for all the single ladies out there. Um, you know what? Uh, just a just a uh, a good friend, a best friend, somebody that you can talk to, somebody that uh. Somebody that gets you. Somebody that has a good sense of humor. Somebody that has good faith. Somebody that has faith in God. Um, good principles. Down to earth. I mean, I'm talking about the perfect woman now. Um, you know what I'm saying? Somebody, somebody that gets me and that understands me. Somebody that has a vision. You know what I'm saying? Like even like, I'll give an example. Like even my last girlfriend, super beautiful. She, che she checked off a lot of things that I've always wanted in a girl. But those other things that I didn't like just wasn't, it wasn't worth it for me. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody's worth my inner peace. Nobody's worth my inner happiness. Nobody. Not even my mom, dude. And I told this to my mom too. It was like nobody. My brothers, sisters. You know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, it's like we have to be real for who we are. And if I don't feel like I can have a companionship, if we're not compatible for each other, then let's just exit out. Like I, I'm, 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 I'm probably I'm a very loving boyfriend, like very, very loving. Like there's some, there's one thing that they'll never complain about. Very affectionate, but I'm also cutthroat too. Because when it's enough, enough, I'm out. He's out. But uh, the thing you mentioned too is that freedom feel. And I think when you're in love, you gotta feel free. And I think that's that's something I learned early on in my mistakes in my past relationships, and I, it's something I certainly feel now. In my current relationship with this girl right next to me to my left. Okay. Uh, but uh, that feeling of freedom, that's what I think love uh, has definitely brought me. And uh, you said it, that that word, and that really resonated with me. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and the thing is, is love is everywhere. Love is absolutely. There's two things that will never, that you'll never miss here in this world is, that they'll, they'll, you'll always have in this world is money. You could always make money. Yeah. And then there will always be women. There's always be people here. Or, or men and women, whatever. Whatever floats your boat. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm I'm open to that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, uh, 
I I don't I don't you know what if it if it, if if I don't feel like it's 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 worth it or meant for me then I just move on like that's it and that's kind of how I, even with fighting same thing like if, if there's no love if, if if I'm just not feeling it no more I'm just I'm just out. But obviously you felt a certain way leading into that last fight with Dominic Cruz. You kind of knew this was it. This was the last chapter. You wanted to move on to the next phase in your life. None of that has changed throughout time, correct? You Has has anything through life in the past few months of your world travel? Uh, no, like, like I'll be honest with you, even now, Shmo, I don't, I don't even miss fighting. For the reason why is I'm so content. I am so satisfied. An Olympic gold medal... Two UFC belts. I got to leave on top. Like that's precious to me. At the age of thirty-three, like I've only had one surgery. Like people have no idea what it feels like to wake up and be like, "Hey, man, I know what I'm talking about, and I want to share it with you guys." You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's what I love about it. I mean, yeah, I'll run risk with Volkanovski and all these other people. Man, my legacy is written. I want to be king forever. <laughs> well, when did you start getting that itch to want to fight Volkanovski? No, it, it, for the playing out, for the competition. I think I think it's more for the legacy. To I, I've always been the person I've always loved to somehow break records, and I've done that in wrestling. When I was twenty one, I won the Olympics. At, I was the youngest in history. I uh, forewent college. I was the first high schooler to ever do that. I, Became a professional for like three thousand dollars. I completely left the sport. Uh, I'm sorry, completely. You know, lost my chances of going to an Ivy or to a Division One to chase my dream. People thought I was crazy. I was like, dude, what are you doing, man? That's that's a gamble. You're trying to win Olympic gold, and I had a full ride scholarship to Iowa to all these. Like, man, I was getting letters from Harvard, like crazy. Like I was gonna pay nothing, and I'm like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it here. I said, I know I am. I know I have the gift. Sure enough, four years later, boom. Hearing the national anthem was, was so beautiful. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, what I do know, Schmo, is it's, uh, and Helen, it's just experience, man. Like, rural South belief. Like, not so, just some people just bumping his gums. Like, I, I'm a visionary. Like, I, I see things, I know that I can manifest them. And I've been able to do that through the sport of wrestling, obviously through the UFC. I've always knew I'd be I'd be UFC champion. Like there's never a doubt. Even though Demetrius Johnson was the boogeyman, and he was somebody like that, I knew that I eventually had to beat. But I beat him too. I found a way. Wow, so inspiring. Did you want to add? Anything? Well, you know, what do you make of the situation where the Olympics, the 2020 Olympics, being postponed to 2021 for all those wrestlers that were expecting to compete this year? Everything gets pushed back by a year. What does that do to their psyche and the level of competition? Like they can never get that year back. Yeah, well, for I mean, the Olympic champs that would probably that they would have probably had this year are not going to be the Olympic champs of of next year because of that one year. True. Because it's like you know, I know and I know uh, Helen's you know. Can we announce it here? If you want. <laughs> We've poked at it a little bit, but uh go for it. No, I know she's I know she wants to eventually qualify, you know, to to you know to make an Olympic run, which is a, which is a big deal. But it's like I was telling you guys when you guys were at my house, it's like every little detail matters. Time matters. Like that's the most important one. So a lot of the guess when you're asking me these these questions, maybe the guy that I thought was gonna probably make the Olympic team for this year. Next year, he's not going to even make the team. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's because the sport, the Olympics is so it's 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 a sport it's 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 a sport that's so developed that's been around for hundreds thousands of years you know what i'm saying and 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 the sport of mixed martial arts you can get away with a lot of things not at the olympic level so whether it's cutting a hair whether whatever it is you got to find every edge to get in order you know become an olympian and eventually an olympic champion and then when you the people that that the, at times the people that truly win the Olympics, it just comes down to who who's who's ready that day, who's ready to perform that day. Because you see a lot of these guys they'll make world teams, and you probably see it a lot too, Helen. When they get to the Olympics, they just don't show up. True, and it's crazy, dude. Well, at what age did you know that you know what I can be Olympic champion? I can be UFC champion. Um, well, the Olympics started when I was watching the 96 Olympics. I was watching Michael Johnson uh, shatter the world record, I think, in the 200. And as a little kid, I was, uh, man, I was just so inspired. Like, I was like, man, I want to be an Olympic champion someday. I want to be like this, man. And then by the time I was 11, my brother, my brother Angel and George started wrestling. And they're, you know, they introduced me to the sport. And the first time they told me about the sport, I'm like, oh, is it like, uh, is it like the WWEs? Like, there's going to be chairs and shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, you know, I'm a kid, man. Yeah. And I'm like, once I saw that, I went to my first wrestling match. And now I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it was just like my heart just started beating. Because I was, I, was I was a little Mexican kid. I was a kid that was always barefooted. Like, I grew up probably more foreign than I did somewhat American. Like, where I, like where I grew up in Phoenix, it was, uh, I lived in predominantly, I, well, I, we lived in apartments. And everybody there was, like, I was just, I was raised with immigrants. Like there was like, if you didn't speak Spanish where I live, you you're gonna get lost. You're gonna be the, like the laughing stock. So as a kid, I was always that kid barefoot, and I was always a kid that loved to fight. So a bunch of drunk Mexican guys would get together, and they used to make us fight. They used to make us fight for for ice creams, paleta de chile, which is like a uh you know mexican the spicy mexican candy at times and i always loved it man. i lo always loved performing in front of these drunk dudes so by the time i was introduced to the sport of wrestling like to me it was love at first sight so when i saw these two little kids you know wrestling and the principal was there and then he would i remember he he at the principal at the school presented the medals to these kids i'm like what the hell is i'm like what is going on like this isn't this is so cool man this is, it's different so Found the sport of wrestling, fell in love with it, and uh, I, it was the I had the ability, man. I was already good since the beginning. I think I pro probably maybe only lost like two times, like my first year. I was like thirty and two. <laughs> naturally gifted. Naturally, naturally. And now look at you. You were just with the president of the United States. You have a relationship with the most feared boxer ever, and Uncle Mike Tyson, man. Let's talk about Mike Tyson. You have a great relationship with him. What was that first meeting and introduction like? Because uh, now you guys, you know, got a podcast. You're going to be the co-host of Hotbox. Yeah, I'm actually going to be with Mike uh, this week again. Uh, I'm going to be, I, I see him a lot. I see him quite a bit now. Um, it's great, man. You know, obviously to us, we grew up with Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson's a legend. Like he's, he's probably the world's most recognized, maybe face like on the planet Earth. Like it's crazy with Mike. But he saw my fight. He's a big fan of mixed martial arts too. Like he saw me beat Demetrius. He was in, he was in LA when he saw me fight, and uh, you know the relationship with him is it's amazing, man. Like I, you know, he's gonna fight here pretty soon with uh, with Roy Jones Jr., which is, I, I believe is November twenty second, I believe, and uh, he's re-sparked, man. He's ready, man. Like he he really wants to, uh, 
he really wants to go back to the sport of boxing and and give back, man. Because I think there's a lot of things that uh that he was that he still wants to show the world that he's still Iron Mike. But how did the relationship start? Like, what was the first encounter? Oh my God, I was on this podcast. It actually started uh <laughs> <it was> smoking. <laughs> <laughs> That's how all great things start. Yeah. So, so obviously, Mike Tyson smoke smokes weed. So do I. So we just hit it off, and you know, I'm I I I've been a big fan of Mike, but you know, it's different because you ha- you have a friendship with him now. So it's uh he shares a lot of things. He's almost like a mentor to me too. Like, but he always tells me like, don't do as don't do as I don't do as I do, but listen to me, man. Listen to me. He, actually, he gave me relationship advice. So I got to the point where I was, I was actually even asking Mike. I was like, Mike, is this normal? He's like, man. He's like, man, you young. You better enjoy that life, man. And he told me a bunch of other stuff, but I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> repeat here. So, there are relationships. It's awesome, man. Like you know what I'm saying. Like like Mike has to say on the podcast, he wanted me to, to you know to be a co-host, kind of like you guys. So, it's I think it's a friendship that we're that we're gonna have for a, for a very long time, forever. When do you start? Um, I think I think we're we already started actually. So I did uh, Stevo. We, we did Stevo uh, about a, a week ago. So we're gonna. I think we're gonna tape, and then we're gonna start. Like I don't know. I don't know when they're planning on actually delivering it, but uh, so it's gonna be pretty cool. You'll be going to L.A. a lot. Then, I'll be going imagine. to L.A. That's the only thing, man. Rough so. life, huh? <laughs> yeah, rough. Except just breathing that smoke right now, right. man. Those first class ticket. Got to go to L.A. Fifty minute flight. Damn. Near the beach. Near the beach, but it's so smoky there right now. Yeah. Hopefully that dies down with those fires coming from Northern California. It's crazy. Well, what do you think of Mike's comeback? Um, I would prefer. I mean, if it was up to me, I wouldn't want him to because I know he's put his body through a lot, like not not just through boxing, but Mike Tyson's. Mike Tyson's been through a lot. Like he's done a he's done a lot of drugs. Like growing up, like now, like he don't do that stuff no more. But still. I think a lot of the stuff that he did in the past, like he was in a couple car accidents. Um, I would want him to just stay as Iron Mike. Like, I would, I, once you get to know somebody, you know, you can you can see that, that they could potentially get hurt. You don't want to see that. Mike's 54 years old. And he's going to fight a guy like Roy Jones, which, you know, Roy Jones hasn't even retired yet. But that's Uncle Mike. He's ready. He's vicious. Like he's still training. Like he was. Like it was back in, uh, back in nineteen. What is it? Yeah, back like in nineteen ninety one. Like they literally bringing back, uh, custom models assistant coach Billy. Like they're bringing back a lot of people that were with Mike in his earlier career to make Mike feel like, hey man, this is you know we're doing it again. Just as a reminder. And obviously Mike's on all, all kinds of technology, and uh, you know he's 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 doing well in that sense. All right, let's pivot a little bit, right? You you were also with Justin Gaethje last night. He's got a huge fight coming up, UFC 254 Fight Island against Habib, biggest fight of his life. I know you know both these guys, friends with both these guys. Both have the same manager. You all three have the same manager with Ali. Um, where's his psyche at right now, man? This is huge. Oh, he's ready. He uh, Justin Justin Gaethje is ready. I'm sure as much as Khabib is too. Like this this fight is like special, man, because. Yesterday, the, yesterday, even the uh, even President Donald Trump brought it up. 
he says, hey, we're going to... So he's going to knock him out. <laughs> Trump <laughs> thinks he's gonna, Habib <laughs> is going to get knocked out by Gaethje. That's what I'm saying. So when you have the pressure of the president, because it is, man. It's like, man, the president is counting on me. Like, it's, I, I felt it for him. You know what I'm saying? But then on the other sense, you have Khabib's father who recently passed away. And his goal and his dream was to always make Khabib, you know, go, you know, go 30 and 0. So there's uh it's a it's a beautiful storyline. I know them both. Uh I don't talk to uh Habib as much as I do with Justin, but I can tell you right now, man, Justin Gaethje, he's he's got the eye of the tiger, but I think he's learned a lot from the Poirier fight. And uh, to me th these that's one and two. Or they can both, you know, you, you don't you're not really going to know who the best in the world is until both these guys fight each other. With the, with all due respect to to even Habib because he never fought Tony. He beat Connor, but just because you beat Connor doesn't mean, you know what I'm saying? In, in my eyes, but as a, as a as a fighter that's so competitive, okay, beat Justin Gaethje, and then okay, that's you're you're the you're the best in in the world. Period. Well, because he also mentioned um, that he has interest in fighting GSP as well. Like, if he does beat Justin. If he does, I think it's going to be at 170. I don't think George St. Pierre would go down to 55. I don't think he could make 55. And if he does make 55, he's, Khabib's going to hurt him. And I think he knows that. I think he just wants a big fight. And I think they should fight. And personally, I think I think, uh, I think, uh, I think Khabib would beat him. 170. 170. I think Khabib would beat. I think Khabib would do a lot better at 170 than he, than he would at 55. You brought up Dustin Poirier's name um, earlier. Or moments ago, but uh, I know him and Tony Ferguson have been linked to a fight, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen over a financial situation, which is obviously something you've discussed before, too, about getting paid, you know, making what you feel like you're worth. And you even got Tony Ferguson vouching for Dustin to get paid more from the UFC. What do you make of the financial situation? I know we're in such a tough time. We're in a global pandemic. We don't have a live gate. So that 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 puts a, a damper on a lot of financial implications too. Uh -huh. But like, what do you make of that situation where Dustin wants the fight, but he doesn't want to take this fight without getting paid more money? Um, he doesn't have the belt, man. He doesn't have leverage. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good-looking dude. He does good charity work, but he he doesn't he doesn't have the leverage. He doesn't have a belt. You know what I'm saying? He fought for the belt, but you have leverage when you have when you have the gold. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like. In, even in my situation, like, I had leverage, and they did up my pay, but it wasn't what I wanted. But at the same time, I respect my boss. I respect Uncle Dana. Why? Why? It's because he's running his business. He's doing it his way, and I'm in his. And I'm in his business. But guess what? Too, I am a business too. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not. I'm not even that. Not even with Dashmo. I'm, I'm not even upset. Like, not even one bit, because I know that he's doing what's best for his company. At the same time, I have to do what's best for my company. Do fighters deserve more pay? Absolutely, they do. But fighting is, is different too, man. Like, I, I work for my money. You know what I'm saying? It's not easy freaking coming out with rabbits and snakes and s slamming them. Like, I'm out there showing and demonstrating to my boss, like, hey, I want to help build this company. I want to be a, I, I am this company. You know what I'm saying? So, if I was Poirier, um, you got you to gotta have gold, man. You have to have more levers and just be a cool dude. Well, kind of circling back to uh, your retirement, you retired on top and healthy, like you mentioned. So do you think nowadays too many fighters fight much longer than they should? 
Oh, absolutely. That's why I've always put, I've always, uh, I've always put, I always like to put like crunch times on goals. Like whenever I decide to do something, um, I didn't even want to go past, I think even at the age that I am now, like my goal was to always maybe even retire like by 32 uh, for the reason of that. You know, I see guys like Chuck and guys that have just been in there for too, too long, BJ Penn, like they're, like I'm not just a fighter and neither should you, you know, fighting, there's, there's a shelf life to it. I think people would need to understand that. It's like, you can't, you just can't fight forever. So even as a competitor, I've always knew, it's like, all right, this is the goal. This is what I have to do. And, and this is the plan. So like, e e like even now, like I've always told my, my, my brothers and my managers, man, when I beat them, just, I have about, I have about three to four fights left and I'm out. And I want to go back to UFC 238. One of those fights, the Marlon Marias fight, because the number one contender you know, fighting for that bantamweight, you were you were holding that. He was having his way with you in that first round, and just the psyche and the wherewithal for you to make that adjustment and to go into that Henry Cejudo beast mode yeah. and to take control of the fight. And I know those leg kicks were doing damage. Like, tell the audience the type of place where you had to take yourself into in order to overcome those obstacles that were completely stacked against you because that's something we'll never forget. Yeah. And by the way, real quick side note, uh, when you came out with that robe, didn't the Schmo help you get that robe there too <laughs> with those snakes <laughs> in Chicago in his home city? He did, the Schmo, that's, I do all credit. He, he did, he did uh, hook you up with that, that beautiful robe, which I still have. That's legendary, man. That was a legendary thing. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it may not be worth a lot of money now, but wait, give it a good 15 years. Like, dude, that dude just did that. So I love the coat. I love the snakes, the hat, all that, all that, all that was perfect. But at the end of the day, I had to perform against, against a guy like Marlon. And during that fight, which a lot of people probably know, don't know, I sh had sprained my ankle like the, the Monday night of fight week prior to, uh, prior to the fight, dude, because the, the, the mats on the thing were like, uh, you know, there was some cheap tape, you know, just those cheap looking mats in my, my foot got on the, you know, got kind of between like the cracks of these two mats between the tape, and I freaking literally like sprained my ankle. So Marlon happened to be on the on the uh, Marlon and his team happened to be on the opposite side of the room, so they heard me scream, <laughs> so they knew something was up. Yeah, Mark Henry, I guess eventually, uh, or somebody talked about it, and uh, I was uh, I was like, damn. And anyways, they ended up somehow finding out exactly what happened because there's a UFC official that kind of opened his mouth and and everybody. Yeah, Tina. media was asking you. Yeah, so they had asked me. I had said it, I said it was my knee, which really didn't matter because it was like he's gonna go after one of the legs, and that was the exact game plan for them. So I went into with the sprained ankle. I went into with the sprained ankle, and then to to top it off, even in the fight, I completely blew my left shoulder out. So this is surgically repaired shoulder. Yeah, can you see it from there? There you go. That's a fat wow. scar. Yeah. So I completely, completely blew it out in the first round of the last 36 seconds. You can see me do this. I, I, I threw, uh, I threw the shot, and then you can see me do this. I, like I missed them, and it just completely went out. So now I have a pin in there. So that happened all in the first round, dude. So it wasn't. It was almost like the and my legs were killing me, bro. On top of that sprained ankle, he was attacking my legs. But I also knew that. It almost like compensated like my shoulder and my like my shoulder like the leg kicks kind of compensated for this or vice versa because there was like pains in two areas, but it sucked and it hurt. But I also remember going back to my corner. I'm just like I'm like wait, 
this guy threw a lot of power at me. I says, understanding science, and obviously I, I'm a competitor, man, so I, I just have a good sense of feel when I fight. I'm like, this is throwing a lot of power, and there's no way he can be able to last that long. And I don't know if he knows, but I'm built for tough, you know what I'm saying? And I knew that eventually I would have to kind of turn the tides, and I saw, once I started seeing his, I think I caught him with the right hand, and once I started seeing his demeanor change, like I knew he was mine, like I knew it wasn't going to go past five rounds, like I just knew it. Even while I was hurt, even while no legs, one shoulder, I just knew that I had to take this to a whole nother place. And I call it like Nirvana. It's almost like you got to find that in, that inner peace when there's when hell when you're feeling like hell. And I've been able to kind of maintain that and find that like find that 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 Nirvana, that composure. You'd be like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna fight, man. I'm gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna take me out, you're gonna have to knock me out cold or submit me. But as long as you don't do that, I says I'm gonna take you out. So I made I made that switch. As soon as I went back to the second round, I talked to my coach. He's like, I'm I'm going in, man. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna have to make this a fight because I can't be staying in kicking rage no more. You know, he was beating me with the hands and he was beating me with the legs. I just said, We're gonna make it a fight. It's almost like you throw the gloves out, come on, let's go. And I put the pressure on him. So a lot of it was me from experience of understanding like the threshold, understanding that he cannot maintain this for five rounds. And then a lot of I, I credit myself the fact that I could take pain. It's like I asked Mike Tyson. It's like I asked Mike, and I was like, Mike, what made Ali so great? And and Mike said, and he thought about it for about a good 30 seconds. He's like, you know what? You know what made Ali so great is the fact that he could endure so much pain. You know what I'm saying? It's a quality that certain people have, man. And I feel like I'm one of them. I can, like, dude, I, I'm okay. Well, is that um, something that you have to constantly train at uh experience i guess you could mm -hmm. say uh, but it, it's also it's it's shiny when the light is bright yeah. you know what i'm saying because you never you have no idea what's going to happen in the fight all right the the goal to me is to win if that means him chopping my legs off or me not having a a, a left arm like the, at the end of the day the goal is to win so if you're so if you're able to find that 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 like i said that inner peace that nirvana saying like you're okay like it makes you a more dangerous fighter. A lot of these guys show a lot of their demeanor when they fight. They get hit and they're like, oh, or when they throw, they clench their mouth. Like, dude, look at my face. I'm composed the whole time. You had, you would have no idea that I'm hurt or injured, because I'm just, you know, what I mean? there's there's no emotion in there. But in the inside, I'm like, dude, I gotta finish this fight quick because those leg kicks are adding up and they're really hurting me. My left shoulder is out. So even when you go back and you watch that Marlon Marias fight, dude, I beat that dude with one arm. I beat that dude with one arm and I was able to find and understand his demeanor of how he started hard and how, his, how he started slouching and his demeanor of his face started changing. So I'm like, those, those are the things I see as a fighter. I'm watching everyone. I'm, I'm just, I'm, my eyes are glued on you. Like I'm not... I'm analyzing you. I'm not, you, you don't, you, you will not ever see me if you're going to look away or anything like that. I'm, I'm on you. I'm glued to you. It's, it's almost, it's almost like a study. It looks like I'm studying my opponent as I'm competing. It's crazy because your mindset, that hyper-focus, the mm -hmm. drive to be the best and to win at all costs, to achieve greatness for yourself and whatever other motivations you have. Too many people live 
in this world just going through the motions, doing their nine to five because everybody else is doing it, you know, competing in sports because they're told to compete in sports, uh, taking whatever position they have to take because that's just what they think they do it. They don't have that inner self-belief. They don't have that inner drive to take things to the next level for themselves or whatever is motivating them. Where can people find that inner motivation to really accomplish greatness in their lives and help other people out, especially in dark times that we're living in today. All right. Don't tell me you took a knee. Maybe two. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh, God. All right. <laughs> um, a lot of it has to do with, with your ability, man. A lot of it has to do with 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 desire but like, like i i repeat it I, I always tell you guys all the time it's like it's two things that make somebody successful heart and ability and you have it's your job to connect the two because there is a separation of mind and body but a lot of it to be the one percent of the one percenters it goes back down to okay is your ability there are you gifted in this certain area in this certain sport where you could take it to the top if the answer is yes then you're in the right thing I love basketball, right? You think you think I'd be in the NBA? I told you, Spud <laughs> Webb won the dunk competition. I brought this up to you last week, and you were just staring at your phone and looking at all the highlights, man. Yeah, but look, yeah, well, how, anyways, it's 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 we you have to. I'm very optimistic, but I'm also realistic. In other words, what I'm saying is understand your ability. If you're able, your ability is a huge indicator that tells you, okay. This is where you belong in, and you got to strive in that. It's a gift. You have to understand your gift. How do you separate or understand, you know, being confident and then being like, you know what, like, I think I can be number one, but you're really not that good. Yeah. So it's, it all goes back down to honesty. You got to be realistic with yourself. Two, the, the two things, the reason why people don't succeed is because uh, a lack of confidence or they think they're better than what they really are. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm going to bring him up, too, right now. Sugar Sean O'Malley. Like, he thinks he's better than what he really is. And he's good. And I can tell you something right now. The dude is good. And he could be the future. He could be a future champion. But right now, he's sipping on his own Kool-Aid. And he thinks he's better than what he really is. And that's a downfall. But I would prefer the mentality that he has than just a lack of confidence. You know what I'm saying? Because he's been humbled. Whether he wants to hear it or not, like he's he's humble right now. You know, he can joke about it or whatnot, but you lost none. And you ha and he has to be able to accept that and eat that and understand it's like, hey, I'm good, but there's a lot, there's a lot of work to be done. You know what I'm saying? Just because you can give pain doesn't mean you can take pain. You know what I'm saying? So if you're asking me, Helen, I think those are the two things that I see and I just had to bring up the dirty Q tip. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't realize this, but you guys literally live within like seven miles from each other in the really? Phoenix area. You guys go, really I'm gonna do. go Aegis House, dude. <laughs> dude, maybe you just go give them a pep talk, get that mental mm -hmm. mindset right, and uh, championship material right there, man, man. I'm a person that I love to help anybody in my competition, bro. If they want to know something, learn something, dude, I am that confident to share it with anybody. Yeah, I mean, I saw you just at King's MMA. You were with Coach Rafael Cordero, who's also mm -hmm. training with Mike Tyson, and you're you're teaching class there. Yeah. I know what you do over at Fight Ready. I know you make those appearances, man. Uh, you're not afraid to be a giver, and that's a great quality to have as well. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. Just share, man. More than anything, I think when you talk about even even life now, like for me, like I, I wanna I wanna be able to use what I have, like my gift, man, which is which is my experiences, my mental, and share that with the world. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm because this is what it's for, man. If I just live for myself, even though that's what the character kind of portrays, it 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 would suck. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> me, 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 me. No, but there's, there's a, there's, there's. To me, there's such a bigger purpose than just, than just even fighting, man. Can we? How can we help? How can we help out the next generation? And at the same time, have fun, man. Like be you. You know, that's how I feel, Shmo. Like I'm, I'm being me, man. <laughs> even though I'm talking about all these inspiring things, but I do love to troll too. But that's part of who I am, and I got to be real to who I am. Hundred percent. I'm still waiting for. Uh... Triple C, King of Cridge, and his manager, the Schmo, to walk out in WWE, call out some fights, you know, make something happen. Yeah, what would your WWE name be? Uh, the Intergender World Champion. I think that would be a... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I think, I, think it would keep it the, I think it would keep it the same, the Triple C. And I think I would eventually like to become the C4, maybe in the WWE, if nothing flourishes here with the UFC. And I know for a fact that Dana, Dana, and Hunter know that I. The reason why they probably won't give me a title shot, 145 pounds, is because they feel like I'll retire. And for that reason, they won't give me a shot at 145 pounds because they know that I could beat them. And what will happen? Leave the belt. They don't or, or, or they think I'll leave the belt. They don't want another GSP situation. But what I would do is I'd go up to 55. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep climbing. Keep putting Just on weight. Just keep climbing, dude. So, but that's, you know, that's me. I'm a conqueror. I love the challenge. I love to do things that nobody has ever done. I love your like mindset. That. There it is. All right, the messenger. Uh, give give our audience, give the Schmozone audience some final words of wisdom. We appreciate your time. Been an honor to chat with you for this hour. Yeah, no, thank you guys. First of all, congratulations to both of you. I think this is an, an amazing platform that you guys are going to use to, you know, to to entertain the world, but to also to also inspire. I mean, to all you, to everybody from the cringe mafia. Remember that Triple C is here. You guys follow me on social media, and uh, that's it, man. MAGA twenty twenty. I love Trump. Thoughts, Helen. How do I top that? He's Look. giving his message. <laughs> The messenger's given his message. <laughs> Episode 33 of the Schmozone podcast. We are out.